We are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups. There's events calendars so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. So be sure to check out our app. You can go to bayshorecc.org slash app. That's bayshorecc.org slash app. And find links to download the Bayshore Church app. Well, welcome to uh, part three of My Big Fat Mouth. We've been talking about uh, things that come out of our mouth. And uh, this has just been a fun series. Last week we gave out these uh, cool white bracelets, so anytime you complain, you switch wrists, and uh, we, I, this is such a good thing. It's really helped me this week, and uh, I have to say I've switched this a few times, and, uh, but it's just been such a positive thing, and I'm going to keep wearing this. It's just really been an interesting thing. Somebody called me or texted me this week. They were getting ready to call the cable company uh, about their bill and uh, wanted to know what, what constituted a complaint uh, and how they were going to handle that. I said, well, listen, there is nothing wrong with, uh, you know, speaking the truth in love, being assertive to the cable company, but I would go ahead and change it a few times before you make the call because I imagine <laughs> things are going to get out of hand a little bit. But uh, you know how that is if you've ever called the cable company. But anyhow, uh, today uh, we want to continue this series, and I want to welcome our Facebook Live community. We have people that are listening to us right now on Facebook Live. The best way to experience Bayshore is to be here, to be a part of the worship, and be with all the other great people that are here. But if you're watching on Facebook Live, we are so thankful that you are listening to us. First service, Facebook Live, I got a text from Texas, somebody in Texas listening. We had about 500 people last week that were listening to Facebook Live during our services. So uh, anyhow, let's welcome our Facebook Live community. Thank you for listening. Uh, and those of you that are be listening to the podcast, uh, thank you for listening, and so especially thank you for everybody that's here today. So today, uh, we're going to look at another part of our big fat mouth, and we're going to look at things that, um, that we need to work on. And we're going to talk today about criticism. Criticism. I don't know if probably sometime in your life you've been criticized, uh, and criticism can be a very, very painful thing to experience uh, the old thing, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names may never hurt me. That's not true at all. Things that are said uh, critically to us can really, really hurt us and damage us. So I want to talk today about criticism. I bet everybody here has been criticized at one point, and you probably have been a critical person. You've said something critical uh, to somebody or about somebody. And so we're going to talk a little bit about criticism. And uh, criticism uh, comes in two, two shapes. Uh, criticism is, uh, you know, there's two types of criticism. Criticism is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, in fact, I think there's a good, there's good criticism, 
and there's bad criticism. Uh, good criticism I call productive criticism. A lot of times you've heard constructive criticism. I like the term productive criticism, criticism that helps us produce to be better people, to grow. And I know that every single one of us here today, we want to we become better in life. We want to become better, uh, better students, better husbands, better Christians, better friends. Uh, we want to we become better, and that's a good thing. And I don't think we can ever become uh, better and the greatest we could ever be without having some, some input that, uh, that's challenging to us. And so there's productive criticism, and there, there's destructive criticism, criticism that's painful, and, uh, and, and it's just uh, it's destructive. It destroys our confidence. It makes us feel blamed, and it makes us feel shameful, and it makes us feel bad. That's bad and destructive criticism. In fact, I don't believe that God is a destructive criticizer. I think God is a convictor. I think God convicts us of our sin so that we can change, but I don't think the way God approaches us is, is, is shame and blame and, uh, and destructive criticism. So here's what I've learned about production criticism. I've learned productive criticism uh, comes from people that love us and care about us. Constructive or productive criticism comes from people that love us and care about us. Whenever somebody who loves you, who believes in you, who has uh, got your back and is, is just behind you, whenever whenever anybody like that criticizes you or gives you some challenging input, you need to perk up your ears and listen because that means that that criticism is probably productive criticism. Sometimes criticism comes from people that are jealous of us, maybe our success, or they're, uh, they're bitter at us for some reason or they're mad at us, and so they criticize, and that criticism is suspect. Because that criticism's coming from some anger source or whatever, and people that are angry and don't really love you and believe in you, and they criticize you, that's, that's something to really, you know, not so much that that's going to be very helpful, and you really want to question that criticism. But when it comes from someone that really, really loves you and cares about you, and they look you in the eye, and they say, hey, listen, here's an area of your life that you need to work on. Whenever that happens, that is a good thing. Now, I have to tell you that my wife, Karen, uh, we've been married uh, this August. We'll be married for 41 years. She's the most amazing woman I've ever met. I mean, I just love Karen dearly. She is, uh, uh, she's beautiful. She's talented. She's smart. She's wise. She's a good, amazing wife. She's an amazing mother. She's an amazing grandmother. She's an amazing leader in this church. I just love Karen, and I believe in her. This morning, before uh, I came down here to preach, Karen came into my office. I'm working, and she comes into my office, and she asked me how I slept, and we had a little talk, and then she took my hands, and then she prayed for me. She prayed that the Lord would bless me today and that I would preach good. And if I'm not preaching good, it's Karen's fault. She didn't pray good enough this morning. <laughs> but she just, she just really loves me and believes in me, and I love and believe in her. But, and when Karen comes to me, and she says something, and she gives me some challenging input, a la constructive criticism or productive criticism, I need to really listen. Because this is somebody that loves me. This is somebody that believes in me. This is somebody that has my back. And so therefore, her criticism is coming from the right source. 
And because it's coming from the right source, I need to really listen to that. In fact, I think that uh, positive criticism and productive criticism in our marriages is important. I, I don't think you grow in isolation. In fact, you know, if you're single, hey, that's where you are. That's your calling in life right now. That's all good and all that. But I've found out that, that change in our life really accelerates in marriage. Because I think one of the reasons that God puts us with people that we're married to is to help change us. And uh, they know you better than anybody. They, they know everything about you. And they're able to give you uh, criticism and challenge that is very informed because they know you so well. And so that's an important, important part of, of marriage. And so uh, I just are, I'm grateful for that. I've changed so much um, since uh, I've been married. And that's been the Holy Spirit has used the marriage uh, that I have with Karen to radically accelerate the change in my life. And so it, it's not all uh, about uh, it's, it's based on love. It's based on encouragement. It's based on affirmation and compassion. And in the midst of that is, is productive criticism where she's able to speak into my life and show me things that I need to do better and get better at. And so that's part of that whole thing. Now, here's, here's a, I was thinking about criticism, productive criticism. I was thinking about the dermatologist. How, how many have ever gone to the dermatologist? You go to the dermatologist. Uh, I mean, I got all these doctors I go to, and I go to a dermatologist. Now, dermatologists, you know, they, my dad had a little bit of melanoma, and uh, so therefore, you know, I, I got to watch out for my skin. So every six months, I go to the dermatologist, and I go to one in Salisbury, and uh, it's always a long wait, and I have to wait, you know, quite a while, and I'll go ahead and just switch the wristband right now. And uh, so I have to wait a long time, you know, at this, at this dermatologist. And, you know, it's, it's just what it is. And uh, so finally they call me back, you know, after several days. They call me back. And, you know, there's skeletons or two that are laying there that didn't make it, you know. And so they call you back and you go in this room. And then what does the nurse say? She's got a little clipboard, ask you about different things, what meds you're taking, all that. And then she says, Take your clothes off. Take your clothes off, and everything's got to come off except for your, your undershorts, and take everything off. And then they give you that amazing, that amazing paper gown. They give you the amazing paper gown that, that you put on, and you say, hey, listen, can I keep this? I'd like to wear this to church tonight. This is amazing. <laughs> so you, you get the uh, paper gown, and then you wait for a while, and then, then the dermatologist comes in. The dermatologist comes in, and he comes in, and when he comes in, my dermatologist, you know, he's got cold, dark black hair and he's very white skinned and he hasn't seen the sun in years. You know, he's like, he's very, very conscientious about the sun. And so he comes in and he has me take off the, the paper gown and he has me stand up in the middle of the room and the nurse is standing there with a little clipboard and he's there and he's got this little blue light. And he goes all over your body and he goes in the back. He looks in the back and he goes down the back of your legs and he has you lay on the little table. And he looks over your stomach and he lifts up your arms. He looks under your arms and he's he's looking for uh, suspicious growth on your skin. And he's looking in areas that you cannot see. He's looking in areas that you cannot see. And he's there. His motivation is not to shame you, not to embarrass you, but his motive, because of his calling as a doctor, his motive is to help you. 
And he wants to protect you. So criticism, productive criticism, is uh, motivated from people that want to help us and care about us and reach out to us and love us. And so in order for us to grow, we have to have a positive attitude toward criticism. Let me give you a couple couple Proverbs here that's very helpful. Uh, Proverbs 12, 15 says this, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Uh, Proverbs 9, verses 8 through 9 says this, Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise person, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. Here is Proverbs. I could read Proverbs all day long in this service about the importance of being open to instruction. And positive, productive criticism is part of instruction. Now, um, my sister Denise is a uh, piano teacher. She teaches piano. Uh, she has about 60 students. And uh, she, her and I started taking piano lessons at the same time. And she practiced, and I didn't practice. And so she's a teacher, and I'm not a piano teacher. Um, I preferred football and all that. So, but anyhow, uh, here's a picture of my sister Denise giving piano lessons. She's a very uh, wonderful lady. She's uh, very talented. Uh, she has a beautiful home, and she's got a, a baby grand white piano in her foyer where she gives piano lessons. She also travels a little bit and does that. And uh, here's a picture of her giving piano lessons. Now, piano lessons are it's basically, uh, in, in her style of piano teaching, she's very affirming very encouraging, very loving. And in fact, by the way, you should give seven affirmations to every criticism. Seven affirmations to every criticism. And so she's, and, and I've watched her uh, do, give lessons. She gave lessons to my sons. I even took lessons from her myself. She's very affirming, very loving, very encouraging. But her piano lessons aren't based just on affirmation. But she'll say, oh, hey, well, you didn't do that scale right. You've got to go back and do that D scale again. You've got to go back and do that, uh, that F scale again. You missed one. Or when, she's, uh, and when she's, uh, they're playing those little uh, classic piano pieces, those, we're learning to play classical music, uh, the timing is off, and she instructs that. So instruction, criticism, positive criticism is for our benefit. So we have to have a, a stature and an attitude of receptivity. A fool, Proverbs says, is someone that has a stiff arm, toward criticism, and they constantly are rejecting criticism, and they have a know-it-all attitude. Here's the key. Wise people don't know everything. Wise people know they don't know everything. And when you and I mature, and we grow, and we get educated, the educational process in Scripture and in life in general, the more we learn, the more we know we don't know. And that we need, we all have blind spots. Just say this with me. This is not great English grammar, but just say this. Nobody knows every. No, no, nobody knows everything. Just say it with me. Nobody knows everything. One more time. Nobody knows everything. Turn to your neighbor and say, "Nobody knows everything." Just say it to him right there. That's an important statue. 
It's an important attitude to have. People in life that succeed are people that are in touch with their limitations. They're in touch with their limitations. They understand what they don't know. And they're able to grow in that process. A very important, important part of the process. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. When I was in Bible college, uh, I, I had this professor that had a profound impact on me. Um, I was a kind of a strong-headed guy, as you can imagine. 21 years old, I knew everything. And, um, and, and I had this student ministry that I was at this uh, uh, school I went to in Pensacola, Florida. Student ministry, you had to have certain student ministries. And so I had this student ministry where guys would get out of Scambia County Jail and they would come to this halfway house. And on Wednesday nights, I would go teach in the Bible. That was my student ministry. And so my professor, Don Luce, came to me and he said, hey, listen, you and Karen have only been married just about a year. And uh, I notice you don't have a lot of friends, a lot of relationships here in the church or in this college. And you're, doing, you're a good student. But you need, to, you need to lay down this ministry so that you can get in a small group so you can make friends, and that will be protective for your marriage. And, um, and I remember him talking to me about that in his office. He had his tie on. He was a very dignified guy. And, um, and I remember bucking, bucking against that and saying, hey, listen, Brother Don, this is my ministry. This is what I do. I don't want to give this up. And he looked at me across the table, across his desk. He kind of slid back in his chair. And he looked at me and he said, you will never be a leader until you learn to follow. That was 40 years ago. And I still remember that. You'll never be a leader until you learn to follow. Wow. And uh, here's a picture of uh, Don Luce. Uh, I was at a conference a few years ago. Uh, this is another friend of mine, Bill Stamp, a, a, a seasoned and retired minister. This is my professor, Old Testament professor, Don Luce, and uh, he, he's fluent in French. He speaks, uh, goes to France and preaches in, in French churches all the time. He's fluent in French, and he's also fluent in Spanish. He goes to Spanish countries and, speech, uh, and preaches, so he can preach in English, in French, and in Spanish. He's an incredible scholar, very, very smart, and uh, I had this picture taken with him because he is one of my heroes. And here, have you noticed that the people that tell you the truth, even if it hurts, are people you end up ultimately respecting? Have you noticed that? Let me, let me read a scripture to you out of Proverbs. Here's another proverb that says that, um, and it's, it's interesting. It says, uh, it says in Proverbs 28, 23, Proverbs 28, 23, here's what it says. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. So there's a principle that when we are faithful to speak the truth in love to somebody, and, and when somebody comes to us who loves us, believes in our future, cares about us, and they say, hey, listen, this is something you need to watch out for. Here's the problem with the American church. If I can just get on a little, uh, a little rabbit trail right now, and this is totally not in my notes, and probably in the American church, what's happening is we kind of come and we listen to a sermon, listen to some music, and there's not enough actual interaction where we have godly people speaking into our life saying, listen, here's some areas that you, and you need to grow in. And how many know that every single one of us, we need a spiritual dermatologist. We need somebody that can take the light and look at areas that we don't 
see or we cannot see. We need some good instruction about that. So anyhow, Don Luce, this uh, professor who I have such reverence for, uh, he uh, wasn't too long ago, maybe six months ago, he, he was up here, he came, he was coming through town, and he was actually here on the weekend, he was getting ready to go to preach somebody somewhere else, and the morning before I came down to preach, here is 81, 82-year-old guy, takes me in his arms, uh, you know, before he leaves, and just prays for me, because he believes in me, and, and listen, whenever anybody loves you, believes in you, and they give you a zinger, you better listen because that is very important. When I was taking, taking homiletics from, uh, in, from him, homiletics is, is part of a preacher world. That's, where, that's a class where you learn to, to put sermons together. So I'm, I'm preaching in, at homiletic class, and Don Luce is the professor. And I told this story that uh, I thought was a really good story. People were like, you know, you know, dabbing their eyes. It was a really good story, moving story, and, and a great preacher story and all that. And uh, he got me aside after, the, after that message. He said, well, that was some story. Uh, only thing problem with that story, it was absolute heresy. He said it was heresy. Uh, and he told me exactly why it was not a biblical story and it was wrong. And I, when, I, when he said that, it was absolutely, he was absolutely right. So not that I've done any heretical stories today, but that was a long time ago. Anyhow, so let me read a story to you real quickly. Um, and uh, let me read a, uh, a story to you out of the book of Acts, and then let's get a few principles about criticism, productive criticism, before we end today. Uh, and uh, listen, here, here's the key. Productive criticism comes from people that love us and are compassionate toward us. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit sometimes will tap us on the shoulder about people that we love. And we, we have to go to them sometimes and say some things that they need to hear, to, to share with them about things that they need to adjust in their life. And here's, here's another principle before I read this story. Uh, there should be encouragement encouragement, 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 and then productive criticism, followed by encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. It's called the sandwich principle. The sandwich principle is I, leave with, I lead with encouragement and affirmation. And here's what I believe that as a leader in this church. I believe, uh, that, I, I believe that raising my kids that uh, I did a lot of hugging, a lot of encouraging, a lot of told my boys, you know, you guys are amazing, you're rock stars, and you can do anything. I just affirmed and affirmed, but boy, there were times when I had to get eyeball to eyeball with them and, and criticize them. And here's, here's something I think is important. We don't have permission, we don't have the right to criticize unless we've been affirming as well. Affirming gives us the right to criticize. So say it with me. Affirmation gives me the permission to be a productive criticizer in somebody's life. That's why when Karen, she comes to me and she says, hey, hey, uh, sport, got something to tell you here. Uh, and when she says, hey, sport, I better listen. When she says, hey, sport, she has earned the right to tell me whatever she needs to tell me because she's loved me, loved me, loved me, loved me, loved me. And now, brace yourself. Something to hear. You need to hear. Okay, here we go. Let me read a quick story to you. This is the book of Acts. Uh, travel, the, the travels of the Apostle Paul, basically what a big part of the book of Acts is about, how the church expanded, basically. If you ever want to know what Acts is about, it's about the expansion of the church. It's about Paul's life and Peter's life. But here's uh, Acts chapter 18, a great story. 
Uh, meanwhile, uh, Acts 18.24, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. While Paulus wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debates, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, here's a, here's a story. Paul and uh, Aquila and Priscilla, this, this, little, this little, little man and this little lady uh, that were friends of Paul's, and they were tent makers, and Paul met them in Corinth. And um, so Paul had been with them, but then Paul left, and they're, they're in Ephesus. That's where Aquila and Priscilla are. They're in this town called Ephesus, and uh, uh, Paul had left, and while they're in Ephesus, there's this guy that shows up named Apollos. Now, Apollos, highly educated, highly educated. He came from Alexandria. Alexandria is in Egypt, north, north part of Egypt. Here's the thing about Alexandria. Alexandria in the Bible had the biggest library in the world, and it was the Harvard of its day. Apollos was was uh, was educated at, at Alexandria. So he's highly educated. He comes and he preaches in the synagogue and he's passionate. He's like pe- preaching. He's like passionate. He's on fire and he's like going after it. And as he's preaching, Aquila and Priscilla are sitting there listening to him. And as they're listening to him, it's good, but it's a little off. He doesn't, he only knows the baptism of John, which we don't know exactly what that means. He maybe hadn't had Christian baptism, hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet. Maybe he had some deficiencies in his doctrine, but it was good. And by the way, just because somebody has a lot of fervor and they're yelling and hollering and and they're moving and they're exciting, that doesn't necessarily, listen to this, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're giving you adequate doctrine and things are correct. So don't let volume and dynamics ever deceive you in church. Make sure that, that you look a little deeper than that. But he's preaching. And as he gets done preaching, Aquila and Priscilla, they, and Aquila comes up to him. Aquila's the guy, and then Priscilla comes up. Priscilla's the, the gal. And here's what she says. She says, I've made some amazing cornbread back at our house, and I'd like to have you come back. We're going to have, you know, lima beans and corn, and I got some cornbread, and I want you to come back. Now, that's in the Greek. That's in original Greek. Uh, that's all there. I was, that was a joke, but you're not laughing. So anyhow, we'll just keep on with this. <laughs> I'm trying to pull you in here, so this is what I'm doing. Uh, so uh, they come back to the house, and then they sit him down. And, and listen, this is a woman, a woman. And this woman is speaking into his life. How many know, well, we're in trouble here. Why don't we just say this? Women can, God can use women to speak into our lives. Every man just kind of nod, just a little, little bit, just nod a little bit. How many know that God can use a man to speak into your life? Just, you know, just nod a little bit. This is not going well, but we'll keep at it here. <laughs> but she instructs him, and Aquila instructs him, and this educated, uh, passionate speaker listens to these tent makers 
as they instruct him in the way of God and he listens because wise people don't know everything. Wise people know they can learn from anybody and he sits there and he listens and he receives this productive criticism and he becomes a great leader in the New Testament church. So he's receptive. He's one of my heroes in the New Testament because he uh, is receptive. Now, one other principle, real quickly before we close this morning. One other principle is, is that they took him to their house to confront him and to criticize him. Uh, here's an important principle. Whenever you productively criticize somebody, you always criticize in private. You always criticize in private. You Praise in public and you criticize in private. Say it with me. You praise in public and you criticize in private. They didn't stand up while he was preaching in front of everybody in the synagogue and say, Apollos, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. They just took him aside and said, we got cornbread. We got lima beans. We got iced tea. And we got some, got some good stuff. Come on the house. And they come to the house and they're eating dinner. And then they pushed your plates back. And they said, well, listen, you, this was good. This was good. This was good. But when you were talking about Jesus, you didn't quite understand everything about the gospel. And they, they, they privately corrected him. Now, let me just say to you, that you guys that are parents, never correct and criticize your children in front of their friends. Take your children aside, and I know it's so tempting. There's so many things happening that you just got so many opportunities to correct them. But always take your kids in private and correct them. I've seen parents that I guess they use the leverage of the, of the peers to try to embarrass their kids, and they, and they say this stuff to the kids. And I remember when I was a kid uh, in uh, middle school that I went to, uh, we went to a Methodist church, and the, uh, the Methodist pastor had four, four uh, boys that were about my age. One of the boys was exactly my age. And I spent the weekend there one time, and the Methodist pastor was pretty legalistic and pretty strict and so the oldest boy in the family had snuck down the road from the parsonage and had been listening to some rock and roll music that the pastor thought was awful and and uh so he 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 was down there and then he snuck a record home he brought the record home and he had it in his room and the father the methodist pastor father found it and uh he got that record and he marched us all into the kitchen and he took that that boy that oldest boy sat him in the chair and played that record, that rock and roll record, which I thought was pretty good. But anyhow, he played it. <laughs> and he went through all the lyrics, lyrics and he stopped and, he, and he, just, he just wailed on that boy in front of us. And I can tell you, it's been 45 years ago since that happened. And I can still feel it in my gut how embarrassed I was and how embarrassed that boy was as he held his head down. And that guy did everything you're not supposed to do. He was, he was critical out of frustration. He was critical out of anger. And he didn't provide any hope or any encouragement. And it was absolutely uh, a public thing that should have never been done. Just uh, say this out loud with me. Uh, if I care for people, I will confront them in private. Now, this is a wonderful, wonderful principle in this story. Uh, you know, uh, they take Apollos to their house, and they explain to him 
the way of God more adequately. So here's the, here's the principle. Um, and and uh, there's another scripture I would love to get to, but I'm, I'm out of time. But I'd like to get to, you know, there's a, uh, actually a, a wonderful uh, scripture in, in Revelation chapter 2, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. Uh, there are seven churches that, uh, that, that John the Apostle gives the words of Jesus to, and, uh, and, and especially the church of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus is the first church that he, that he confronts and, and all that. And here's what he has. He says seven things. In Revelation 2, to the church of Ephesus, seven things they're doing right. You, you, are, you work hard, you keep pure doctrine, and you do this, and you're, you're faithful. He, does, he says seven things that are good. And then he says, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost your passion. Then he says, but I have this in your favor that you also hate the, uh, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, whichever that means. We could talk about that for a long time. But the principle is seven positives to one productive criticism, and then he ends with encouragement as well. So this is the sandwich principle. You encourage, you confront, and you encourage. Say it with me. You encourage, you confront, and then you encourage. So, whenever anybody comes to me and they're critical and they don't love me, they're mad at me or, you know, they're something and they come and they're angry, that criticism I just like. But when somebody who loves me, somebody who cares about me, they come to me, and the Holy Spirit's tapped them on the shoulder. It may be my wife, Karen. It may be one of the co-leaders of this church. It may be a friend. They come to me, and they look me in the eye, and they say something to me. They're my spiritual dermatologist. They see something that I can't see, and they care enough about me to save me from that thing that could hurt me. So there is good criticism and bad criticism. I read this. Somebody sent this to me a while back. It's been quite a while ago. Sent me to this. Uh, sent me this to you. Uh, I wanted to share it with you. So they, sent, they sent this to me. Um, while on a road trip, an elderly couple stopped at a roadside restaurant for lunch. After finishing their meal, they left the restaurant and resumed their trip. When leaving, the elderly woman unknowingly left her glasses on the table, and she didn't miss them until she'd been driving about 20 minutes. But then to add to the aggravation, they had to travel quite a distance before they could find a place to turn around in order to return to the restaurant for her to retrieve her glasses. All the way back, the elderly husband became the classic grouchy old man. He fussed and complained and scolded his wife relentlessly during their entire return drive. The more he chided her, the more agitated he became. He just wouldn't let up one minute. To her relief, they finally arrived at the restaurant. As the woman got out of the car and hurried inside to retrieve her glasses, the old geezer yelled at her, while you're in there, you might as well get my hat and credit card. <laughs> so easy, out of our frustration, out of our anger, to have a critical mouth. But good criticism it's criticism where I love somebody or somebody loves me. The Holy Spirit taps them on the shoulder and they take me off in private 
and they speak the truth in love. It works in the marketplace when you're leading people. It works in the school. It works in the family. It works in the church. We should treat people with dignity and respect and give them the productive criticism they need without being destructive.